Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Men Among Monsters, the Godzilla podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Along with me is my co-host and fellow kaiju, David B. How's it going, David B? Rawr, hello. (laughs) (laughs) But Hey, what's up, everybody? So this episode kind of mixed things up a little bit for guesting, which I will mention in a second here. We are going to watch and talk about Shin Godzilla today. Yes, and... uh... Should be interesting, for sure. Should we should we say who our guest is? Um, yes, our guest who's coming on a little bit later in the episode um, is Whitney Seibold. Woo! The great yeah, and powerful great. Whitney Seibold. <laughs> well, uh, definitely. Uh, maybe I'll use that as when I introduce him. Yeah, <laughs> the great and powerful. It's funny. Um, no, yeah, uh, he graciously agreed to come on this episode, and we're doing this episode a little bit differently than norm. Um, so, yeah, um, Shin Godzilla. So this film, what do you remember? See, okay, you've seen this before, right? Yes, I have seen it, but you haven't. Well, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. I was trying to rec- uh, remember things, and I think I've seen it when it came out, but I have very, very vague memories of it. So mm. I don't know. I, it's like because it was 2016 came out. I think yep. that's the correct date. I am mm-hmm. currently looking up stuff. No, it's 2016. And, I can confirm. Okay, because I was, of course, watching other films from that year, and then Shin Godzilla was like one of the uh, films on the list, and I just watched it randomly, you know, and just I was like, oh, okay, and it it it. it Rewatching it would be interesting, so I'm not going to say anything what I thought of it back then. Rewatching is going to be a little f- different, so yeah, it's inter- it's interesting because um, just a quick little intro, right? It's it's very reminiscent of what 1954's Godzilla did, which was kind of like it's not it's not so much about the monster. The monsters you got to think of the mo- of the kaiju in this instance as more as like a uh, like a natural disaster. It's really more about how the the Japanese government would deal with such a thing, which is kind of like what 1954's Godzilla, I felt like, was also kind of trying to do, was kind of is trying to show how the Japanese people and Japanese government would deal with, with that kind of thing happening. And I feel like this movie does that too, but it's very interesting because it takes it takes a very, very hard and realistic look at the bureaucracy of Japanese government. And um, from what I remember about this film is uh godzilla's not in it a lot kind of like again reminiscent of 1954 and there's a lot of procedures and exposition and just bureaucracy and you're just kind of like oh god and it kind of wears you down and i kind of feel like that's the point of the film but we'll we'll talk more about that after we watch the film Mm -hmm. so this is this is directly just after the the second american version of godzilla of 2014 came out Mm -hmm. and Koto was like, you know, this is good timing with the success of that film. And it's like, if not now, then when? And they just streamlined this film for Mm -hmm. for production. This is like the first film uh, in the new uh, era of uh, Godzilla films. I know it's Renoa era, I think it's called. I think I could be wrong. I don't know how to pronounce Japanese words, but uh, there there hasn't been a new live action Godzilla film since 2016, so this is our only indication of what's to come. If we don't know if this is be like if they're gonna do another Shin Godzilla movie sequel or they're just gonna do a completely reboot of Godzilla after this, 
But because um, technically, this is kind of like it's kind of a reboot, right? It's kind of like the first time this is happening. It's like its own separate thing. From what from what I read, the little bit that I read afterwards was that there was a plan for a sequel. And um, for the listener, once you watch this movie, you're gonna see it. At, not to spoil anything, I won't get into specifics, but I feel like the movie like sets up a second part. Was trying to get it made, but then I haven't heard news from that since. All I know is it was all that I heard was like it it was in 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 the plans. I think originally what I read was like they wanted to make a new trilogy out of this, but yeah, so far that that's uncredited, of course. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it was. I, I feel like it was. I mean, I can't tell you if financially how well it was, but I feel like it was popular. It was all over the internet when it came out. So. Mm-hmm. We'll mention the directors. Uh, it's actually a co-directing uh, team. Uh, they both collaborated on Neon Genesis, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, um, yeah, the anime. Evangelion, yeah. Yeah. Hidak, oh man, if I'm butchering this, I apologize. Hidaki Ano and Siji Higuchi. Yeah, that's what I want to mention because uh, everybody was excited when they they were announced to direct. I was like, "Oh my god, these these guys did the anime, the Neon Genesis and Evangelion." It's like, whoa! So, uh, just want to mention that kind of history because most directors don't have that kind of history with anime. So it's like, ooh, doing a Godzilla film, interesting. Yeah, and that anime because I I was really into anime in my high school years. Not so much lately, but. Um, that anime in particular is is really great. It's considered like a classic anime. It's really kind of dark and heavy. I highly recommend everyone go watch it, especially you, Mike. I think you would really like it just because it's so like it, it's it's like kaiju based, like but they don't call them kaiju in that. They call them angels. It's uh, watch okay. it. It's really okay. it's really good. It's it's a classic anime. It's like in the same vein of like. Like when people ask me like what animes should I watch to start with, I always I always go to like my number one is Cowboy Bebop. That's still my favorite anime. Right. And then I'll say something like Neon Genesis. And then if they're still into that, then I'll probably throw in like a long one, like Dragon Ball Z or or Naruto or what have you. But yeah. That was a tangent. No, it's good because I just want to mention directors because they, they have a history with that. I mm-hmm. did also briefly look at the future of this. They're 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 not directing a sequel or they produced the uh the anime Godzilla films that DVB wants to get a, into eventually on Netflix, which is Planet of the Monsters, City on the Edge of Battle, and the Planet Eater. But a couple of years ago in May, Toho did announce that they are instead attempting to follow a shared universe model similar to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that'd be interesting to see how uh they incorporate Godzilla with that dynamic, which mm-hmm. I mean, I, even though Godzilla originally did that, you know, the cinematic universe kind of thing where they have other monsters introduced in their own film, they intertwine in other films. And yeah, yes, I, I just, uh, and if it gets dead air, you can chop this up, but I just randomly pulled up a, an article from about a, two years ago. And uh, it says here that officially we're no longer getting Ashin Godzilla 2. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, oh, here's the thing. It's a direct quote from Kiji Oto of Toho. He said, after 2021, we're thinking of a potential strategy to release Godzilla movies uninterrupted at a rate of every two years. Mm-hmm. The future of the series and its forwarding developments are very conscious of the method of a shared universe, like you said. 
So Godzilla, mm-hmm. Mothra, King Ghidorah, Akashura, single world view, much like a Marvel movie. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I guess I guess that's that's the new strategy. Instead of releasing a new a new Godzilla movie, they're just like, I guess they're gonna do like another soft reboot and kind of reintroduce yeah. all them all the kaijus, I guess. It seems Yeah. Like. Yeah. That because it's um it's been close to like twenty years since we've had a typical Godzilla film and because the Millennium era had those films. Um, but yeah, we are excited to see what the future comes. We'll cover those films uh, as we can see them, if we see them. But uh, we have a lot of films to go through first. And Shin Godzilla is the uh, interesting film to do. And you know what? Let's just get into it, David. Let's watch it. And we will be right back after this with uh, Winnie Seibold talking about Ooh. Shin Godzilla. The great and powerful. <laughs> Listen, kid, there are two things you don't know about the Earth. One is me, and the other is Godzilla. And we're back from watching Shin Godzilla. Uh, before we talk about the movie itself, we have to introduce somebody because he just popped into our podcast right now, our guest of honor. Uh, he's a esteemed film critic, half of critically, critically acclaimed, uh, the grand powerful Whitney Seibold. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, Pasha, you don't have to use words like honor and esteemed with me. I'm just some jerk who stumbled in. But thank you. Of course, man. It's a real pleasure to have you here. So... We're talking about Shin Godzilla, and before me and Mike give our impressions, we would love to hear your initial thoughts on the movie. What did you initially, what was going through your head when you first saw the film after first after the first viewing, I should say? Well, uh, I, I do have to preface this by saying that I uh, am a huge Godzilla enthusiast. A few years ago, I deliberately took, it took an entire summer, but I ended up watching every single one of the Godzilla films that had been made to date. I think that was only at that point up through the second American film, like the one tw- was that 2014. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so uh, I was, I already had a lot of uh, expectations and a lot of beloved things that I had al- was already really enjoying about the series. And I was eager to see uh, what Godzilla was going to become at that point, because if you trace sort of the, the arc of Godzilla, every time, America has tried to get involved with Godzilla, Japan has always reacted with a <laughs> no, that's not how you do it. And they would come back and they would do Godzilla essentially correctly. So I was really eager to see how uh, this new Godzilla was essentially going to serve as a correction for the American Godzilla as it had had done in the past. And I think what they got was that Godzilla was really a great, scary monster. I'm watching the American Godzilla films, and they're trying to stage Godzilla as if he's sort of this uh, tough-ass bouncer. Uh, he's uh, kind of a... You're there to cheer, to cheer for Godzilla, and that's something that Godzilla films had always been doing. Godzilla is really this gigantic, scary symbol for destruction. And even though we have plenty of symbols we can draw on in American history the new Godzilla, American Godzilla film wasn't really tapping into any of 
fact, it wasn't really about much of anything other than establishing a new American film franchise. You could smell the commercialism all over that. Shin Godzilla rocks. I, I was just so thrilled to see Godzilla be a scary monster again, something that was kind of uh, animal and mysterious. Anyway, that was my first impression. Yeah, I yeah, I would say this is purely by design too. It's the scariest, roughest looking Godzilla for sure. This the sharp the sharp edges, the contrasting like red highlights against his like his hardened skin and the sharp teeth, and then the I mean they, they call it blood in the film. The constant blood that he's well the the blood he's oozing out when he's like in his first form, and yeah, it's kind of it's really vicious and kind of scary. I totally agree with that with that aspect. Yeah, yeah, and they like. The, now Godzilla can not just open his mouth, but like the entire top of his head hinges all the way backwards, and that's kind of weird looking. They gave Godzilla these little kind of beady fish eyes that aren't really expressive, making him seem a lot more animal. And they changed Godzilla's proportions considerably. Like his arms seem almost like this weird kind of vestigial afterthought, and it shambles in this weird kind of off-balance sort of way. It, it it's really terrifying again. But but also too in in terms of it being terrifying, I also found this is this is my like third viewing with Mike. I also found too it actually make practical sense in terms of Godzilla the creature because once he starts because in the beginning when he's in his, when he's in his first form he's kind of using all of his limbs to kind of traverse the land. But once he's able to stand up, he doesn't really need the arms anymore. So like logically speaking, like yeah, evolution wise, of course his arms would be tiny. He's not using them at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I really love this film too. I'm me and Mike are we started this podcast so that we could start getting into the Godzilla franchise and we're slowly making our way through all the films, not just the Americans, but like Toho and stuff like that. And what I found initially interesting about this one now, having a little bit of history with Godzilla, is how much it it really tries to capture the uh, the atmosphere and the essence of 1954's Godzilla, particularly with like treating Godzilla as, like you said, like this horrifying monster, just kind of like just this force of nature coming onto Japan and then having the people of Japan and the government go, okay, now what? And and I love the approach of the realism of like the first act where it's all just needless bureaucracy, as I would say. Well, I, and I, I think that's something that... Um... I think that's tapping into something very modern about sort of the Japanese ethos. And, you know, I'm, I'm not Japanese, but uh, when you go back to the original 1954 film, you know, the most common uh, critical interpretation of that film is that Godzilla is a metaphor for the atomic bomb, right? Mm -hmm. That uh, he was created by nuclear radiation and how this dark legacy of destruction can still come back and destroy more. Uh, some might argue that that's kind of a silly metaphor that you make it into this, you know, 50 foot tall lizard, lizard whale monster. But at the same time, it is, does have this kind of tragic real world heft to it. I feel with Shin Godzilla, they're finally moving on from that metaphor. This is a metaphor that has been hammered on for several generations after the original 1954 film. Godzilla is a metaphor for the atomic bomb. Godzilla is the metaphor for atomic bomb. Well, if Godzilla is a metaphor for the atomic bomb, what the fuck is Mechagodzilla? I'm sorry, can I cuss on the show? Yes, yeah, can. of course. Okay, well, then, then what the fuck is Mechagodzilla then? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, gets, it just gets... Compl or, yeah, what, 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 what on earth is Gigan? I couldn't even tell you what that thing is. 
uh, yeah, the, the metaphor thing was left behind a long time ago, but a lot of critics kept on hammering on it long after it was appropriate. When Shin Godzilla came out, we had Fukushima to deal with. There was a new nuclear disaster in Japan's history. Uh, it was caused by an earthquake. It spread a lot of radiation. And uh, what happened, if you, what happened then in Japanese history was there was a lot of bureaucratic unpreparedness to deal with a disaster of that magnitude. So a good deal of Shin Godzilla is about how people are reacting to this, how we're trying to wrangle a lot of officials in various boardrooms, and how they don't really know how to deal with this, how red mm -hmm. tape is essentially the thing that's blocking humanity from stopping a disaster. And I think that's a much more salient and a much more modern metaphor for Godzilla, and it's completely appropriate for the monster. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I found myself cackling now, just realizing that they had a meeting for the meeting to set up the official meeting. Like, they're in, they're in one room, <laughs> and they jump to another room, and then they go, okay, let's officially get this on record, and they go to the, the press room, which is like, and then nothing gets done. And it's so... The movie points it out too when um, the main character, I think, oh, I'm going to mispronounce this, Yaguchi, he says when Godzilla first comes on the land, he's there for two hours and he leaves and he leaves all this destruction. And he says, We had two hours to do something and we did nothing. And it's kind of, it's kind of like you said, it's a very salient point about like, it's this government that's not prepared. So they just kind of run around in this. It felt to me like they were just running around in this circle of figuring out what to do and ultimately they get nothing done. Yeah, they all just start panicking. Mm -hmm. There's a, a one of my favorite bits in the movie, and it's just a brief moment, but every time we cut to a new boardroom or a new uh, official place where they're going to start dealing with like, having more meetings on how to deal with this crisis, the screen just fills with text, uh, like a, just full of Japanese uh text explaining i guess it's like what this boardroom is and who's in it and what they're going to be doing and it's so concerned with all of the actual like rank and official titles that we don't get to see the image uh i'm not sure how, how familiar are you guys with akira kurosawa's film ikiru oh i haven't heard of it I, i've heard of it but i have not seen it yeah uh, ikiru is uh also a japanese film from actually i think it also came out in or no ikiru is from 1950 two so it's shortly before godzilla but uh it's a, a akira kurosawa's film it's maybe one of the best films ever made and it is about a, a salary man just a guy who works in a big accountancy office and he has to deal with papers and red tape all day he learns that he's dying of stomach cancer and the first half of the movie he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his last few days on earth he knows it's fatal and he tries to party and he tries to go out and drink and that's just not his style. And ultimately he, then there's a smash cut halfway through the movie where he's already dead and we get to hear all of his coworkers at his funeral lamenting his passing and they slowly start to put together what he did with the last of his life. And it turns out what he was trying to do was cut through all of the red tape and all of the zoning variances and all the rest of that bureaucratic nonsense to essentially just put a little small playground in the middle of his local neighborhood where the kids can play and there's actually some small bits of humanity left in the world and that movie is essentially how what it is to live is to cut through all of that bureaucratic garbage 
that we have set up around ourselves. That kind of the hatred of bureaucratic garbage and the way modernity has leaked into the Japanese national character is something that's frequently addressed in Japanese cinema. And that that ethos is now leaking into a Godzilla film. It makes perfect sense for Godzilla in terms of having to prepare for a disaster, but it's also incredibly Japanese. Mm -hmm. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it, it is, it is kind of, I don't know. I, I feel like now looking at the movie, because eventually things start to move and they start to get done. Unfortunately, once the, uh, all the main cabinet people are, are killed in, in Godzilla's wake on the helicopter. Right, they say like uh, the prime minister was on it, and the secretary, and all these stuff. And because they had to have acting people now, they were able to kind of like get through everything, start moving everything forward. Yeah, and I didn't know that about Japanese culture, but yeah, I like that. That's a salient point. Um, Mike, you have any questions? Uh, no, I just the thing about this movie is that last time we watched the movie, also put on 2020 hindsight which watching the movie in 2020 shin godzilla has that 2020 hindsight where it is very much a disaster and japan's taking care of it and we're in a pandemic right now and there's a couple of scenes in the movie where people were in masks and they're just trying to survive and it just wows me where it's just so many films nowadays you watch back it's like damn <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the whole mask thing really. We were like, "Hey, look, everyone's wearing a mask." Wow, good for them. They're they're doing their job. Yeah, remember, um, if you, if you listen to our podcast, this is a, a wonderful point uh, William Bibiani brought up. But when uh, uh, the rebooted Star Wars came out of Disney, uh, The Force Awakens, and uh, you know, we walked out of it thinking, "Oh, that that's good. That's just a Star Wars story again." But there's not much to that movie. And then you realize a year later that Star Wars, that new Star Wars film is actually about a new generation looking to an older generation of fascists and thinking, oh, wow, that's a good idea. And it's about sort of this new rise of neo-fascism in a previously peaceful republic. And you realize, wait a minute, this is way too salient right now. Everything's, no, 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 I don't want this in Star Wars. Oh, wait, it, it predicted something awful. <laughs> yeah, exactly uh but um yeah so continuing our discussion of um of the film i particularly for me i find it very interesting that for being a godzilla movie godzilla's not doesn't do much in it at all right the the majority of what he does is like is just walk through japan and the occasional bits of action Godzilla, you know, doing the radiation blast from his mouth, from the dorsal fins, and from his tail. It's all in in reaction to stuff happening to him, which I found interesting. Because looking back at other Godzilla movies, it's Godzilla is always kind of, I mean, the main kaiju ones, right, where he's fighting somebody. He's always kind of in action. He's always kind of doing something. But in this movie, there's no real explanation for why he comes he's just he's just there and he's just on the ground and then he starts evolving um and yeah and i found i found the, evo the evolution phase is so fascinating particularly the last one that they hint at the now that now we're never going to get cuz apparently shin godzilla 2 is canceled but i love the idea of like godzilla producing little little villain monsters from himself and uh, 
and now I'm really bummed we're not going to get Shin Godzilla too. But um, well, just I'm I'm a little upset that uh, not only that we're not going to be getting uh, Shin Godzilla too, but that the American franchise is going to continue even though those movies aren't very good. Uh, I I know a lot of people like them, but I'm I'm just not so fond of them uh, because. I've always seen. I, I thought Godzilla, Shin Godzilla, was supposed to be a rebuke of that stuff. I, mm-hmm. you know, if if you look at you know in 1998, Roland Emmerich makes this big English language Godzilla in America with American money, and it is notoriously quite bad. It got a lot of really bad reviews. I don't know too many people who are fond of that movie, other than for nostalgic reasons. And Japan's response to that was to reboot the franchise. They started the Millennium Era, and there were actually several Millennium Godzilla films. One or two of them were very good, but most of them were pretty good. Uh, and it, unfortunately, the last one, the one that was supposed to end that series, uh, Godzilla Final Wars, was probably the worst one of that era. But in that film, they even literally killed the <laughs> Godzilla from the Roland mm-hmm. Emmerich film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. turn, as, as it turns out, that the Godzilla from the 1998 film, that wasn't really Godzilla. That was just a smaller monster that Americans thought was Godzilla. Is this little, according to the Toho canon, it's a thing called simply Zilla. And mm-hmm. Zilla, rather famously, was killed by the real Godzilla in what is the shortest monster fight in Godzilla history. <laughs> like in terms of screen time, mm-hmm. it's over in a flash. Godzilla picks up Zilla, chucks it at the Sydney Opera House, and that's that. And so, yeah, when, when uh, they decided to reboot Godzilla again in America, and they just once again called it merely Godzilla, and I, I, Shin Godzilla came out, and it seemed to be a little bit more of a rebuke. It seems like God, uh, Japan was saying, this is how you really do Godzilla. We're going to ignore the fact that Americans are trying to co-opt this again uh, and show you that Godzilla is a Japanese citizen. And that the American series got to continue while the Japanese series didn't seems like an injustice to me. Yeah. It's also ironic too that you say that because now looking back, there's there's a moment in the film where like the US government is trying to superimpose their own will over what Japan should do. And then of course all the Japanese are rightfully so, in my opinion, angry at the US at their proposition. Essentially the the whole we got a we got a new Godzilla, right? That's the only that's the only answer. And everyone's like, another another nuke on Japan. We can't let the US do this. And it is it is like a salient it is like a kind of like a, like a look back at like the U.S. always kind of interfering in foreign affairs. But I think it it also too is like you said it's kind of like a, like a little little jab at the U.S. Like you guys always think you guys are right or that you're always the right way, but this is the way we're going to do it. This is the way you should do it. Well, just because that was in the movie, that speaks pretty clearly to the fact that they're trying to criticize America's treatment of what is essentially their property. Mm-hmm. Godzilla yeah. doesn't belong to the world. Godzilla belongs to Japan, and America should stop mucking around with it. <laughs> um, but sp- speaking of that, I do want to say though, th- I don't know if you've heard these reports because me and Mike just looked into this. That apparently the reason why Shin Godzilla Two was ultimately canceled is because Toho is kind of considering doing their own kind of cinematic universe with Godzilla and all its uh, and all its monsters. Mm. No, I mean, uh, it's wise. They're, it's their monsters, but yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but aren't you sick of cinematic universes? I mean, I don't, I don't want all of my movies to be TV shows. It's fun when you're watching a superhero TV show that happens to yeah. be you know, 22 feature films, but uh, I mean, I, I don't need that interconnectivity to get a thrill. 
I think it's okay for it to be just a thing. No, I, I, I think I see it both ways. I, I think for Godzilla, I can see why Toho would want to do that for Godzilla because they do have this this incredible franchise with this rich and long history to where they could do that. But then you look at a film like Shin Godzilla that's ultimately at the end of the day a standalone film, and it's a great film, and it's like it can exist on its own. Like we don't – I would like a Shin Godzilla too, don't get me wrong, but we don't really need it. If that's, if that's the way the film ends where it's just – Japan has to learn to coexist with the frozen Godzilla in the middle of their land, then that's like, okay, cool. What a great way to end a film. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly tired of everyone trying to do a cinematic universe and everyone failing miserably. Minus Marvel, obviously. They're the only ones who've done it right so far. And here, here's what I appreciate about uh, Shin Godzilla as well. Uh, when you go into some of the later Godzilla films from the Showa era, the the first mm-hmm. wave of Godzilla movies from the fifties uh, through the seventies, uh, eventually we start losing sight of the human characters, and we don't really give a damn about the human characters. We're here to see Godzilla, and we want to see Godzilla's rivalries. And so, by the time you've spent like maybe ten movies with Godzilla, I think you're kind of okay having him be just Japan's bouncer, essentially. And have him be kind of this this tough dude who just wants to kick ass. And by mm. the time he's twisting off Mechagodzilla's head, you're thrilling at it. It's amazing. With Shin Godzilla, they're focusing on the monster, and the human characters aren't so important. But uh, in a weird way, all of the human characters sort of emerge as a single character. Uh, it's not necessarily about the drama of one person or how important it is to follow one person's story. It's more essentially about how all of humanity has to react. And we have like a room full of experts at one point and the room itself, like all of those characters together are one character. But Mm -hmm. I think back on Shin Godzilla and I'm not remembering too sharply any of the individuals. And I think that's another important part of the Godzilla mythos is to focus on the goddamn monsters. That's what we're here to see. I don't give a damn if Ben Cranston dies in a hole somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't care that, uh. that, that Elizabeth Olsen and empty-headed soldier dude are gonna, you know, might get married someday. Seriously, I don't give a fuck. Just show me the monsters. Understand that we need to see some human collateral in here. We need to see humans running in terror. We need to see that a lot of people are out of their depths, but we don't care if one soldier lives. We care if humanity survives and we want to see Godzilla kicking some butt. So mm-hmm. Shin Godzilla is, has a serious tone, but remembers a lot of the most important parts. Oh yeah. I would agree with that too. Yeah. I would say, yeah, it's mostly like the, the certain like groups of humans become a character. You got like, the the main leaders are like a group of character then like the young ambitious politicians who who form the um i don't even remember their name but they're the ones who come up with freezing godzilla you have that group and then and then you got like the foreigners right you got the 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 french uh, leaders you got the u.s president and then you got the um that lady that comes from the u.s who's like japanese american i guess um yeah i also found it too keep like it's like you said too the movie really does keep in touch with like the themes or maybe not well the feeling of like the godzilla franchise right and for me in particular i really do see echoes of 54 in it and the movie i feel itself doesn't doesn't it kind of beats you over the head with it because 
for me personally, when I noticed right away listening to the soundtrack of the film, especially the quality of the soundtrack, I kind of noticed that a lot of the pieces and music they use are from the original 1954 Godzilla. In fact, I think we just did some research and we found out that they actually did insert actual original recordings from the 1954 sessions of that, of that soundtrack and inserted it into the movie. And I could, me being a musician, I could automatically tell because the quality was was so weird. I was like, this sounds like 50s quality, not like modern day wide stereo quality. Mm-hmm. I kind of yeah, like that. that was Godzilla. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. That was because when they were trying to make it work for the film, they were trying to make it stereo, but they couldn't. It was a daunting task. Instead, they just went to mono with it, which sounds a little bit low end quality. Yeah, because back in the day, they would record most everything on like either like a wax cylinder or straight to vinyl. So you would have to, I would, I would imagine it. I didn't. Did they have tape back in the fifties? Because then you would have to take every individual track and literally pan it. So, but anyways, besides the technical of the technical, I really like the fact that they that they are trying to kind of capture the essence of. 54 and essentially it's like you said all of the godzilla franchise into like this one movie of like yes we're taking it seriously like 54 but we're still keep keeping like what you like about the whole series the whole franchise as a whole yeah 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 for sure i, I think and i think when you make a godzilla and this might be just one of the errors when america tries to do it america wants to put their own stamp on it right they want to make mm-hmm. everything sort of fresh and uh, start it from start a new mythology and make it all seem so new, and uh, really recognize how important it is to draw on the traditions. You know, recognize that there are you know, decades and decades to draw on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I love about Shin Godzilla and Godzilla and the Japanese in, in a whole is like they always draw to their traditions. They always draw from their history and in some form or fashion and you see it with with all their media i feel like especially like yeah in godzilla but you see it a lot in their animes and just any source of media that comes out from that country which i i personally like that they don't ignore their history they embrace it and they show it yeah yeah for sure oh uh before i move on any final thoughts on on shake godzilla how many times have you seen it by the way since it's released I- I've I've seen it twice. I I reviewed it when it came out, and then I've watched it once since then, just for pleasure. Ah, okay. As a professional critic, I have to I have to explain that we don't get to rewatch films a lot for pleasure. Yeah. Just for fun, it's mm-hmm. just not part of what we get to do. We're so busy watching new films that watching films repeatedly is kind of alien to us at this point. I, I always get a little stymied when somebody says, "Hey, what are some of your comfort films?" It's like comfort films. I don't rewatch anything anymore. Comfort film is watching all I need to this week and getting it all written down. Yeah. So that says a lot for you to 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 uh, to make time to watch watch it again for a second viewing for pleasure. That that really says a lot to the quality of the film. Well, and also just like my, my general like, love for uh, for Godzilla. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, like we love Godzilla, but we can all admit there's certain films that just aren't that good. <laughs> With with anything that's long history, right? It's like it's like the James Bond films too. There's certain films that just just don't hold up to today's standards, or just were never good to begin with. Um, that being said, any final thoughts on Shin Godzilla? Um, I did want to give one last word to the the film's director uh, Hideaki Anno. Uh, is best known for I, I guess here in the states it would be a cult phenomenon, but uh, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. 
That's right. Evangelion yes. uh, is, is a pretty well-known and very well-regarded anime series uh, in Japan and here in the States. And as these gigantic robot sort of things go, uh, Neon Genesis is pretty moody piece. I, I haven't really sat down with it for a long time, but I have seen some of it. And that seems like a really... A novel angle for something like Godzilla, some something that really is focusing on not the melodramatic tragedy, but kind of lamenting the fact that destruction is happening. And I think that is entirely due to the director. Oh yeah, um, Mike pointed it out um, before before we watched the movie how the director was the same director from Neon Genesis, and I I watched that anime too uh, a long time ago when I was when I was but a wee lad. And um, I would agree too, because that anime I hold it in high regard too. But it is a very moody, and especially the um, the uh, the movies that came out after it, which get really dark. And the way the series ends as a whole, I won't spoil it in case any any of our listeners want to go watch it. But the way the whole series ends and as a whole is very bleak. <laughs> just just to give you a heads up. But I love that anime series for sure. It's definitely a classic and a must watch. Um, yeah. I would agree, because he he did take it in a very gloomy and serious kind of way, but also I wouldn't call it a dark film. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it. Like I said, and I think this is something that uh, you know, international cinema, not just Japan, but films from all over the world have nails that I think American cinema doesn't, and it's the idea that film can be used as a form of lamentation. Mm-hmm. American films don't usually skew tragic and i don't know what that says about you know the american national character or our inability to process grief but i feel like there isn't a whole lot of grieving in american cinema and i feel like sheen godzilla doesn't possess a a a darkness or a nihilism to it but it does have a kind of downbeat sadness to it Mm -hmm. which i find very appealing for for me to elaborate on your point, I agree. I think because there there are films in America cinema, but but you kind of have to really go out of your way to find them. Like for me, the first kind of films that kind of popped up to me, they I don't even know if you were considering American, but like the movie Shame by um, Steve McQueen, I think is a very okay, different yeah. film, but I think it's a really great film. It's it's really hard to watch sometimes, but I really like that film. A film like Buried. I don't know if you've ever seen Buried with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah, I, I've seen Buried. I did a commentary. Oh, nice. Oh, I got to go out of my way to see that now. Ooh, something to look forward to during during this pandemic. But but those movies, like I mentioned those films to like people who quote unquote say they love movies and they go, what? That's a thing. And I think I think it's very cultural in our society where when people have the moment to watch a film, they don't want to watch anything that kind of challenges anything, right? It's, just, it's the whole reason why like, you know, popcorn movies are so popular, things like, and there's this whole thing too about nostalgia too, right? Where it's like, we want to be back and be comforted. Hence why like Star Wars is still a big thing. We got the whole Marvel movies and comic book movies and they're making another Batman and they're making another blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I really think as a society, we just, in general, we don't like feeling those icky feelings for whatever reason. I, I don't know why either. Well, I think that's also a generational thing. I feel like uh, the, the the leading ethos of current generation is just uh, co- one of comfort. We're all here to be comforted, mm-hmm. and we all need to be warm and compassionate for one another. And I, you know, I have nothing against compassion, but I also feel like 
that's not a really great way to grow uh to you really need to push yourself into places where you are made to feel sad and uncomfortable and hurt and angry no i would agree and now that you mentioned it too because we also have this weird culture of of outrage i would say and you see it a lot on social media where if if you even mention hey i think this movie wasn't great something as simple as that for some reason people feel personally attacked and they'll attack you as like what the heck do you know you're i would imagine you as a critic because i see it all the time with everybody else that's a critic how sometimes the general public would just attack you for any type of quote-unquote negative criticism of a film and i think that has something to do you have no idea. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I can only imagine, my friend. <laughs> but, but I honestly think to some extent that's this it's what you said. It's because we're not confronting those icky feelings. And I feel like a lot of it, too, in culture, and I'm going to get really, like, I guess, quote-unquote deep. I can see it, too, as, like, a Mexican-American. In Mexican culture, especially for men, you're you're really kind of trained to, like, never confront those emotions you just kind of like you got to man up you got to suck it up you got to keep moving forward and there's this like underlying just anger all the time that's just kind of like just waiting there and some kind of i see it a lot in my extended family thankfully not in my family because my parents raised me to cry and i am so happy to go watch a movie that'll break my heart and i'll cry for a good hour i don't care but i see it a lot with like my extended family too where i'm just like oh you you don't know how to like deal with those emotions because you just you just don't confront them you completely avoid them at all costs and i feel like that's a very that's a very cultural thing in in the in in america but also i feel like in the americas in general so yeah you know i'm sorry about people attacking you i don't know it's comes with the territory it's fine (laughs) no and and a lot of it comes from you know i I, and this is just maybe something personal character or the way i view films but when we go to films a lot of people say oh you go to films to escape they want to escape they want to leave the world behind and go into a new world and live in that world for a little bit where things work differently and things work a little bit better perhaps than in the outside world and i don't think i agree with that i don't i'm not not that you know escape isn't a thing but I feel like there's not really necessarily such thing as escapism. I think it's people going into a film that they kind of agree with, or it's easy to agree with a film. They're going to reinforce something that's already in the world, not escape, not leave the world. And when they see a film that they see as sort of escapism, they say they see something within them reflected back and reinforced and validated. Mm. Like I go to see this escape movie, but when I see a, like a movie about superheroes fighting each other, it reinforces something in me that agrees with the fact that moral conflicts are easy to solve, and all it takes is a few strong heroes to solve it. And I actually believe that on a fundamental level somewhere within myself. So mm-hmm. I'm not escaping the world, I'm reinforcing a part of it. Yeah, I feel like if we start to view films as something that is here to enhance the world and remind us that the world has beautiful and textured and strange and frustrating and wonderful things in it no i agree i agree with that sentiment 100 percent. yeah everyone should all right i will say this i i i understand the sentiment of like i just want to escape 
because sometimes I'll do that with like I I've I've been going through the Dark Knight trilogy just because I wanted to go through it because it's something comfortable to me, right? But I also I also like to be challenged. I feel like I need to be challenged sometimes and confront something that either I'm not comfortable with or I'm not used to or maybe something that might trigger something in me and quote unquote trigger, even though I don't like using that word too much. But I think it's healthy for sometimes as human beings and as individuals to be a little bit challenged, to be confronted with like, hey, life does have a lot of great and awesome and explosions and bright colors. But sometimes like life has to be tragic too because if we don't have that tragedy, then we don't know why like, the joyous, the joyous moments are and stuff. So, well, I was, I was just going to ask: Was there anything about Shin Godzilla that, that you had observed that maybe I, I hadn't thought about yet? I'm not a film critic, so I don't, I don't usually view it with that lens. Compared to like, if I'm listening to a piece of music and I have to put my critical hat on, then I would view it through that lens. Does that make sense? I don't know. I think some of the stuff you pointed out for me personally, I was like, especially the whole Japanese uh, heritage and the whole how every most Japanese movies kind of deal with like their government and the bureaucracy. I didn't realize I knew the film was about that, but I didn't know that it had like this history behind it too. And for it to be so, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like to just be so noticeable in Japanese culture for it to, to go into their pop culture, quote unquote, in a Godzilla film. I didn't realize that point. I don't know if Mike's here. Yes. I'm, Oh, there you are. Okay, I was about to ask him a random question about a movie that popped into my head. What what would that be? Uh, the movie Irreversible with Monica Bellucci. Oh, golly, you want to you want to talk about Gaspar Noe now? Oh, all right. <laughs> I, here's the thing: I, I was I was in a weird time in my life a few years ago where I was just kind of like just watching all these horror films, and that one to me because you brought up the whole point of like being challenged and feeling uncomfortable. And I, I remember that movie is, it's, it's a hard, I would, for me personally, I would say it's a hard watch, but <laughs> well, <me>. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but not, not just because of the whole, the whole climax of the movie. Right. But also just the way he films it to where the very beginning of that film, the camera's constantly doing this swirly thing. And it legit gave me a little bit of like seasickness when I was watching it. And I was like, I don't know if I can get through this. Here's, here's a, f- a fun bit of trivia about Irreversible. Uh, Gaspar Noe wanted to make his audiences so uncomfortable that he actually researched uh, sonic weapons that were used during World War II <laughs> and how weapons were being developed that essentially played noises that were so low and dissonant to the human ear that it would make people physically sick. And because he's this kind of filmmaker, decided to incorporate those noises into his movie. So if you felt a little sick, there's a reason. Uh, it was probably everything, right? Not just the, the <laughs> motion, but also the sounds. He made it, what was the other? Because now that you mentioned his name, there's like another movie that I remember that I saw of his that I don't. Uh, well, he, he did a really, uh, a film I really like called Enter the Void uh, in 2009, which was told from the perspective of sort of like a druggy wasteoid who gets killed early mm-hmm. in the film and we get to see essentially the perspective of his ghost as it floats above people and of course the novelty Ooh. is it's shot from like inside his eyeballs so we get to like whenever he when he blinks the the screen will like black out for a split second and i remember, uh, I remember what yeah it's about sort of how how as a ghost reality starts to dissipate around uh he did a uh 
sex movie called Love, which Love, I actually haven't yeah. had a chance to watch yet. And just uh, last year, he did a movie called Climax, which is also supremely. Ooh, I might. I remember watching. I didn't like Love that much. I remember. I completely forgot it. I saw it. I can tell you. I know I saw it, but I don't remember it. I just remember being like, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's one of those movies that it, it tries to be really shocking because it has you know unsimulated sex in it, and it's like, well, okay, you know, in the in the age of internet porn, that's not so shocking anymore. What else you got, Gaspar Noe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah legit that's the way i felt like all right cool so you 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 shot a couple of quote-unquote porn scenes but like the rest of the film to me it just didn't it didn't resonate I've, but yeah but irreversible that movie left an impact so um mike you to get back on track here for the podcast because uh yes I was yes because i had I have, i'm having difficulties i apologize for that but i've been hearing the whole conversation which is okay, great yeah. I truly appreciate the conversation, but uh, uh, so Mike, there, any... there's 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 some smaller stuff. Oh, sorry, um, that I've noticed about the film and the director. Actually, a fun fact: that the director actually told the actors to speak faster than usual so they could resemble actual politicians, and they actually oh. cited he actually cited the Social Network as reference and warned that he would cut anything if the take was you know too slow so i it was very fast paced for me it was like holy shit they're talking way too fast and they're like trying to catch up it's like but that, that's what the pandemic is they're just fast paced and they're trying to get shit done quick so it's like damn they actually cited social network just it's like because jesse eisenberg talks way too fast for his uh play mark zuckerberg so that's uh i didn't know that that's really fascinating and it makes perfect sense <laughs> Yeah, because because once the movie starts, right, we start on the love boat and they cut quickly to like the prime minister's building and it's just it's just nonstop, blah 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 blah. blah. Um, yeah. Like any thoughts that you want to share about the movie and any, any last thoughts at the very least? The other thing that I'll try to say is that I love Godzilla in this particular film because you see him evolve and it's pretty cool how you see different forms like. The first form, I was laughing my ass off because he's got the biggest, goofiest eyes in the world, but he's just like this long fish, aquatic creature coming out of the water to do sh- destruction. Or just being, just being a creature itself because it's not really, it has no intent to destroy. He's just, you know, trying to, you know, be a creature and live his life. Yeah, the first form of Godzilla for sure is is, is kind of shocking. I remember the first time I watched that film, I was like. What is that supposed to be? Is that the creature that Godzilla eats or something? Yeah, I I, I kind of like that. You don't you don't know what it is if that's Godzilla yet, and because it, mm-hmm. it looks nothing like Godzilla. There's also just real quick. There's also a point too in the movie just to kind of go back to it where where it feels like the movie presents a moment where they could have ended it, and it's right at, it's close to the beginning where he's first learning how to walk upright, and they have the helicopters trained on him. And they're about to shoot, but they see two people crossing the railroad tracks, and they say abort. And I, to me, it felt like the movie was saying if they would have just shot Godzilla at this point, it would have been done and over with. And the reason I say that is specifically because of the way Godzilla looks in that moment compared to how he looks when he comes back. He's very like it's it's like Mike said, right? He's got the big buggy eyes. His skin's like very brown, and like his his gills are like 
shooting out blood and he can't really walk upright. So it almost it almost feels like he's a larva at that point. He's just kind of like this pudgy creature and he's very vulnerable. And then when he come when he goes into the ocean and he comes back, he's just this this solid, I don't know, like rock or metal or where have you and now nothing can penetrate him or destroy him. I don't know. To me that felt like the movie was saying this was the moment and they failed to act on it and now Godzilla is going to do what he does best. But yeah. Oh, yeah, it's 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 really that's 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 really terrific. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so usually around this point unless unless Mike has any anything else to say, usually around this point we rate our our film, but our rating system is based on the actual uh fret levels, levels 0, baseline white, which is the lowest level, then we have level 1, which is green. Level two, which is yellow. Level three, which is orange. Level four, which is red, severe. It's a real threat of a film. And then level five, emergency, black. And so far, the only movie we have at level five has been 1954's Godzilla. Yeah. Hmm. Basically, uh, level three and level two is like, like, for example, the C scale on critically acclaimed. It's like a high C or low C or C plus, C plus you know, so forth. So we've already rated the, a few of them in level three, level two, nothing below that. But uh, what do you consider rating Shin Godzilla on our scale? Uh, well, so just level five is good, yeah, right? The, be- the best <laughs> okay. of yeah, the, the best. best, of the best. Yeah. yeah well, I yeah. mean, this film, uh, in more than one way, this film destroys. I think it's really, really great. It's one of the better Godzilla movies uh, in, in terms of launching a new wave of Godzilla films, but just in general, uh, I'm going to give it a level four. It's it's not quite perfect, but it's pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, I would I would agree. I was I was leaning towards a a level four, but like a high level four, like really close to being level five. But yeah, I would agree, level four for sure. I uh, yeah, it seems. A- about that level i was i was originally gonna say black because of it seems to echo a lot of the original film but there's a few minor things that just really give it a high level four red so uh yeah it's it's really it's a damn good film i just i just loved it it's really good and i highly i mean people fucking watch it just fucking watch it (laughs) watch it just watch it. There's so many details to it, and I could have gone in more detail on that, but you guys have done a great discussion about that. I just love it. That's a really, it's a really great film. Um, we do have a level one, real quick, don't we? Isn't '98's Godzilla a level one? Or did Frankie give it a, a level one? We have, yeah, we have Frankie numbers uh, last time, and he uh, he gave it a green level one. So for us, we just like, eh, we liked it a little bit more than you, Frank. Uh, it was a, lo- a level two. <laughs> Uh, but it was a low level two. Don't think less of us. It was a level. It was a low two. Yeah, I mean, we didn't like give it a big rating for ninety eight, but it's just like it's worth a, at least a watch, you know. Well, Sometimes I mean, you, you you still have things like uh, all monsters attack and Godzilla versus Megalon ahead of you, and those things are just pieces of shit. So uh, <laughs> what people just get. I don't, I don't envy you some of the Godzilla films you'll have to watch in the future. But that '98 one is is pretty bad, but it isn't it isn't the worst one. No, 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 it's 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 pretty bad. And I admitted at the beginning of that one that I was 
it was purely nostalgia for me because yep. I loved it as a kid. But being now a 32 year old man, I can clearly see like, oh, this wasn't good. But I still enjoy a bad film every now and then too. So <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's about it uh for this episode of Men Among Men Among Monsters or David would be like ma'am. Ma'am Ma'am the podcast. <laughs> it's all good in the neighborhood. Uh next time on the podcast, uh we are going to watch Godzilla Final Wars, which we will see Zilla being kicked in the ass in Sydney, Australia. So it'll be it'll be really quick, like two <laughs> seconds. Blinking Super- you miss it. Super quick, um, but yes. Uh, so, Whitney, where can people find you on the internet? Oh gosh, where can't you find me on the internet? Well, um, <laughs> I am uh, I am one of the co-hosts uh, uh, behind most of the podcasts on the Critically Acclaimed Network, uh, which I uh, do along with Mr. William Biviani. Uh, you can go find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash network. Uh, we're also criticallyacclaimed.net if you just want to read the uh, or have links to every single dang podcast we do. And we do so many. We have a film review podcast. We have a TV review podcast where we review TV series that last one season or less. We're reviewing every episode of Star Trek. We recently uh, completed a journey where we reviewed every episode of the TV show Firefly. Uh, We answer letters on some. We've been reviewing every film that's been nominated for Best Picture uh, and other podcasts as well. There's just way too many to name. Uh, so go to any of those places you can find us and i'm also on all of the social medias as well uh find me but you know my twitter handle is my name my instagram handle is my name whitney seibold that's whitney with the weirdest possible spell (laughs) good uh david where can people find you on the internet uh they can find me on twitter and on instagram at davidbmusic21 and they can find me here on ma'am the podcast I just love you, man. I love you, dude, so much. Um, <laughs> if you want to follow me personally, it's at Mike Mixtape. That's Mike, M-I-X-T-A-P-E. I tweet and retweet a bunch of film stuff and some other crap in between. This podcast is a part of my own special little network that I'm trying to get off the ground. It is Project Mixcast. Uh, you can follow it on Twitter at, at Project Mixcast. And now you can follow us on our exclusive Twitter account, which is at Men Among Monster without the us and that's where all the episodes and godzilla content will be exclusively at you can still follow at project mix cast for any details and other podcasts that i'm posting but if you want just the godzilla content and everything else there follow it on twitter at men among monster and right now i don't know the platforms to listen to but you'll be able to find whatever you listen to this podcast on but we host on anchor.fm slash project mixcast a bunch of other podcasts on here as well i uh i do a the americans podcast called deep undercover with my friend josh we are recapping every episode of the americans there is also a podcast i do with my british friend steph we are covering differences between our countries with various topics all that stuff and also, I do a podcast on the Merc with a Movie blog podcast feed. We just started to do It Takes Two with my friend Josh, which is a two-season show podcast where we cover shows with only two seasons, which has been inspired by Cancel Too Soon. <laughs> we uh, just started that. It was pretty... So we're covering a lot of two-season shows. Pretty awesome. 
and yeah, I'm doing a lot of podcasts because it's quarantine time, and we uh, I just want to entertain people and folks. So what definitely, uh, definitely, I uh, just check whatever I have available. So thanks for listening to this episode of Metamon Monsters: The Godzilla Podcast, and we'll see you next time when we watch another Godzilla film. Yeah.